The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 184. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. That is M-C-C-L-A-N-A-H-A-N, mcclanahanacademy.com. Free to enroll, but I do have five classes there for purchase. I've got one on the war, the only war that matters in the South. Uh, One on the Constitution, one on the Declaration of Independence, one on Secession, and one on Alexander Hamilton. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. You can give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. And you can go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support and you can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. If you do give me an email address, I'll send you an email here and there. Nothing oppressive, but usually once or twice a week you'll get an email from me. And when I'm doing promotions for my McClanahan Academy, you'll get a few more. But otherwise, it's nothing over the top. And you can also get all your Brian McClanahan Show gear by going to redbubble.com. Just do a search for my name. You'll find all of my apparel merchandise with my logo on it. That also helps support the Brian McClanahan Show. So I've got lots of ways to support the show, lots of ways to help me out. So uh, please share my material on social media and also review it on iTunes, or which is now Apple Podcasts or uh, Stitcher, any of the podcasting platforms where you listen to the show. The more reviews, the better, and it does help get the show in front of people's faces so they can download it and listen to it. All right, well, let's talk about the topic for today, which is nationalism. Now, (laughs) this is a funny issue to me, and I'm going to reference this in several ways. I'm going to talk about a piece that actually appeared uh, uh, on MSN News. It was actually a New York Times piece, but I got it through MSN News. Um, it was written by Jonathan Martin and Alexander Burns. And uh, Rush Limbaugh actually referred to this piece, I think, on Friday of last week. It came out Friday. But um, I'm going to talk about it because it's it's filled with just abject stupidity, particularly the title of the piece, because this is, this is the issue I'm going to talk about. Now, it's, I'm going to focus on nationalism, but I'm going to start with a colleague of mine who posted on social media the other day that he was teaching a topic in class, it was actually music. And uh, in this particular lecture, he talked about nationalism. And he was discussing the 19th century and the Romantic period. And if anyone who knows anything about the Romantic period, you can't get around talking about nationalism. It's, it's a fundamental component of, of the Romantic era. It doesn't matter if you're talking about literature or music or art. It was all full of nationalism. And under a traditional definition of the term, uh, meaning that they had pride in their national identity, nation being a people of similar ethnic, religious, uh, cultural background, uh, had to do a lot to do with language. And what happened in the 19th century, if you know anything about this, during the Napoleonic Wars, Napoleon himself unleashed this type of nationalism on Europe. Uh, Germans started thinking more like Germans. They were, they were Germans first. The French 
were French first. In fact, you had uh, Louis-Philippe, the king of the French, not the king of France. It wasn't a nation-state any longer. It was a king of the French, a French people. The British started thinking of themselves as more British, even though within that term British, you had a diverse ethnic national background because you still had the Irish and the Scots. And, and, uh, so, but the British said, you know, we're British. It was more their English is, is really what it came down to. And none of this had to do anything with race. In fact, the Germans would think of themselves as a different nationality than the English, even though they're all, of course, Caucasian. Uh, but it had to do with their ethnic meaning, their cultural identity. Their cultural identity. And so the Poles thought of themselves as Poles, and the Czechs as Czechs, and the Russians as Russians. I mean, you started seeing this all throughout Europe in the 19th century, Italians as Italians. And that led to the unification movements in Italy, in, in Italy and Germany. And it also led to the creation of ethnic nation-states in these regions. Now, uh, fast forward into the 20th century, and of course now nationalism becomes tainted. The term becomes tainted because everyone thinks that nationalism essentially is Hitler. And how do I know this? Well, because you have morons who go on social media, like Sarah Silverman, and suggest that nationalism is Hitler. Nationalism equals Hitler. Or you have idiots like Louis, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus do the same thing. Nationalism equals Hitler, which equals Trump, which equals the Holocaust. These people are completely stupid because they have no idea what it means. And so this colleague of mine said there was a collective gasp when he started talking about nationalism. And he stopped for a second and said, you know, what's, what's going on here? And uh, the students, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's Trump, you know, it's, it's Hitler. Nationalism equals Hitler. This is, this is astounding to me because no one understands what nationalism really is. <clears throat> they don't understand the origins of it. They don't understand how it factored into anything before Hitler. And what was Hitler anyways? Um, I mean, you have the National Socialist German Workers' Party, so it was a type of nationalism, but it was a German nationalism. Um, he believed that all Germans, all ethnic Germans, should unite under one empire. And so uh, that is a type of nationalism. But what is American nationalism? And of course, you have Trump in the Silverman uh, video, had Trump standing up, saying that I'm a nationalist. I, you know, I'm a nationalist. And so she equated that to I am a national socialist. <laughs> Which, um, these people are all nationalists. The, the left are nationalists. The right are nationalists. They're all nationalists. Because in America, nationalism is something entirely different. And even Trump's nationalism is something entirely different. So I'm going to, I'm going to, talk about this with this piece. Trump's nationalism is breaking point for some suburban voters risking GOP coalition. Because what's really going on here is you have Trump's definition of nationalism, which is the American nation, which he defines by default as everyone in the American nation. Now, if you don't believe me, his rhetoric is about making America, and that doesn't, he's not saying making, um, making certain Americans great. His rhetoric has always been making America, the entire United States, in terms of a nation, an American nation, great. 
the only thing that you have out of this, and there's a, there's a quote in here where one of these idiots, and I think it's Pennsylvania, which uh, I don't expect anything more, but says, well, Trump, um, uh, his, his nationalism, he, all he focuses on is race, race and uh, divisiveness. That's not what Trump has ever said. He's never said these things. That's what the media said Trump has said. <laughs> so people are taking what Trump is saying as what the from what the media is saying Trump has said. But uh, I'm not so certain that Trump has ever said any of these things. Uh, and I'm trying to find the uh, the quote here. Right, here it is. Uh, At a gathering in a tavern outside Philadelphia on Monday evening, supporters of Scott Wallace, a Democrat running in the state's most hotly contested House race, denounced Mr. Trump for his cruelty and alluded repeatedly to the president's rhetoric on race and national identity. Now, I'm not so certain Trump has ever said anything about race being part of the American national identity. In fact, he hasn't. He's gone out of his way more than anything else, to show that, no, this is, this is inclusive. I'm including everybody. Uh, I'm including everybody that can, considers themselves to be an American. The issue with, <laughs> with immigration has always been about the people that are here. He's saying these people are Americans, and we're going to protect Americans. It doesn't matter who they are. We're going to protect Americans from people who aren't American. These people aren't American, so we're protecting the United States and everyone living in the United States. The only people who ever say Trump says anything that's racist is the media. And, of course, then the Democrats pick up on that. And this is all just fabrication. It's all, it's all fantasy for these people. Because American nationalism has never been, never been, um, a singular ethnic nationalism from the beginning. And I point this out, so a little history lesson here about America. There certainly have been white supremacists in America. In fact, I think you could say that everyone in America up until about the middle of the 20th century was a white supremacist if they were white. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to find anybody who really wasn't. You can find, of course, you know, examples. I say that. There are examples of people who weren't. But generally, even the people who were against slavery or who were against segregation, they were still white supremacists. They just didn't think that that African Americans should be treated that way. They didn't think that slavery should exist. They thought slavery was immoral. But you go out and read the statements by these anti-slavery people, 99% of them were still white supremacists. In fact, that's one of the reasons why they were anti-slavery. So you go back and you say, okay, well, I mean, who, who wasn't a white supremacist in the 19th century, the 18th century, the 17th century in America? They all were. Even in the 20th century, who wasn't? The progressives were all white supremacists. They believed in the superiority of Europeans. Um, Segregation, whether it was in the North or the South, because as even C. Van Woodward, who's very leftist, pointed out, segregation was invented in the North. You find Jim Crow, the statement Jim Crow in Connecticut in the 1850s when they were talking about segregated rail cars. So, America was white supremacist. It doesn't matter what period of time you're talking about, up until about the middle of the 20th century. And then the attitude started to change. And a lot of that had to do, of course, with the experience of Americans in World War II. 
um, and Americans coming back, they witnessed firsthand um, what uh, such language on race and ethnic identity, not, not national identity, but ethnic identity, could do to other peoples. And so they, they wanted to eradicate that here in America. So this is when you started seeing, of course, a real push to end segregation, uh, attacking that in the South, um, where it had been confined by that point, at least legally. I mean, you still had segregation in Boston and elsewhere. This is why you had uh, desegregation riots, essentially anti-busing riots in Boston in the 1970s. Uh, because... Bostonians were supposedly immune from these things, yet they did it all the time when the federal government actually says, you've got to desegregate your schools. Well, we already have. No, you've got these segregated schools, not by not de jure, but de facto. So you had that situation. But um, Americans have always viewed nationalism differently. And if you go back and look at the founding generation and you look at the nationalists, people like Alexander Hamilton, people like John Marshall, American nationalism at that point was um, not based on any ethnic or cultural identity. It was a political identity. And that's all Trump is saying here. It's a political identity. We are Americans. We believe that there is a strong central authority. That's the political identity. Now, what's funny about that is, of course, all these leftists running around saying they're against nationalism are all nationalists because their nationalism is also confined to a political identity. The central authority has the ability to do X, Y, or Z. They're all nationalists. I would say that nationalism is a problem in America, but it's, it's not an ethnic identity because that's not even what Trump's saying. Now, you could actually say make a case that the left are more interested in traditional cultural nationalism than any other group because they don't believe in any type of American assimilation. It was always thought that up until the 1940s again, this is when you started seeing immigration take a different turn, but that they were going to lock down immigration and, and keep it to where the Americans, the, the, the uh, political, cultural identity of America, the people that are here, were going to make sure that everyone assimilates that. And it was always about politics and, and the ideas of... Um, American political identity. You're going to learn how to support democracy. You're going to learn how to support uh, a, a three-branch system of government. You're going to learn about, about uh, voting. You're going to speak English uh, because that was the dominant language. People would speak English. You're going to love capitalism. You're going to love the free market. These are things that Americans, it was only English. That was the only real cultural part of of the American national identity. Otherwise, it was a political identity. As long as you assimilate into the political economy of America, it didn't matter who you were, you were going to eventually be accepted. Now, of course, as I've talked about in this program before, um, there was resistance to immigration in the 19th century, in the middle of the 19th century, even into the early 19th century and to the late 18th century. There, are, there were Americans who were resistant to immigration from other parts of even Europe because they didn't think that these people could assimilate with the American political economic identity. The Irish, the Germans. Maybe the Irish were Catholic and the American political identity was also wrapped into Protestantism. So there was some of that. 
So, of course, there was some times, there were periods where people were interested in this traditional nationalist cultural ethnic identity that had to do with things other than politics or economy. But for the most part, American nationalism has always been a political, economic identity. We're going to have jobs for Americans. He doesn't say we're going to have jobs for white Americans. He says we're going to have jobs for Americans. He touts record low African American unemployment. He he brings up, uh, I mean, this is a man that said that Bruce Jenner could use whatever bathroom he wanted to use in Trump Tower. So how is that divisive? Trump, I mean, this is this is made in America. This is made in the USA. I remember back in the 80s, you had this real push to have a made in the USA stamp put on everything made in the USA. That's the, that is the American nationalism that Trump is talking about. We're going to bring jobs back to America. We're going to have factory work. He is an old-style, mid-20th century Democrat. That's all Donald Trump is. The same type of Democrat that you would find in FDR. Look, Trump, in many ways, is no different than FDR. The amazing thing is the Democrat Party has moved away from that. They've become something entirely different. Their idea of nationalism is they do believe in ethnic nationalism, but of all these groups, there's no need to assimilate to anything. All that matters is that you vote. You see, you don't have to believe in the American political economic system. In fact, they don't believe in it at all. They, they believe in socialism, essentially, though, even though that so does Trump, ultimately, uh, because he believes in the social welfare system of America. But the, the left now believes in a much more Marxist uh, political economic system. Uh, that's the only thing that holds their nationalism and, and the idea that they need to believe in a strong central authority, a national government that can do what it wants. In fact, the other thing that was funny was when um, one of these other leftist thinkers, I put the thinker in quotations, it's a celebrity, of course, it's Alyssa Milano, saying that the Democrats, let me read this particular tweet because it's very, very funny. She says, damn right I'm a progressive. Why would anyone want to be a regressive? Progressive politicians want you to be inspired to dream big. Regressive politicians want to roll back your rights through hurtful policy to appease the special interest groups that own them. Um, For some reason, I guess she doesn't get that the entire progressive movement is based on special interest groups who are unified in their belief in the central authority doing what they think it needs to do to appease their own special interests. Whatever special interest that is, they're entirely special interest driven. So that is modern day leftist nationalism. It's, it is kind of an, an ethnic nationalism tied into a belief in a strong central authority to do what they want it to do. Whereas Trump really is an old-style, mid-20th century Democrat. So these people have no clue what nationalism really is, what American nationalism really is, even what a traditional definition of nationalism really is. In fact, I believe in many ways their entire outlook on Trump is skewed 
by their own fixation on race, class, and gender. The idea that all these people are who they are, they're, they're Guatemalans, or they're Hondurans, or they're British, or they're um, Germans, or whatever the case may be. I mean, this is, they're fixated on that, whereas Trump is looking at it from an old-style American position. We believe in a political economic system that has free markets, and uh, even though it's not really that free. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm using rhetoric here that, of course, I know sophisticated listeners of this program understand that uh, the American political economic system isn't really that free. But this is the rhetoric that's used. We believe in free markets. Uh, we believe in, in making money. We believe in uh, uh, this system that has made tremendous wealth for people. That's, that's one of the unifying factors. And, of course, then you have thrown into that, uh, you have the uh, belief in the American nation, the political centralization. They all believe in that. So this piece uh, by the New York Times, again, is just so curious because these people really don't get it. They've bought uh, an idea that somehow Trump is saying things that are not what he's saying. And of course, the piece is loaded with the stuff. It just it doubles down on these things where uh, I'm not so certain Trump has anything said anything more inflammatory than anybody else. First of all, and then, you, of course, you get into the idea that somehow this, and this is the Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus thing, that somehow this gunman, who was an anti-Trump guy, I mean, the guy didn't even support Trump, goes out and murders 11 people, that somehow Trump did that. Trump didn't do any of that. The, the quote-unquote white nationalists who are anti-Semitic uh, don't even care for Trump. They don't think Trump is enough. Go, I mean, if you've ever seen any of the people have said anything, they say this quite openly. But supposedly Trump did this. Um, I also saw somewhere else that somebody said that, you know, Barack Obama was a unifier. Uh, how so? I, I can't figure out how Obama's been anything but a, a, a uh, divisive individual. But... The piece continues, perhaps nowhere has Mr. Trump's persistent use of inflammatory language become as much of an issue as in Pennsylvania. Republicans were already bracing to suffer losses in some newly drawn house districts before a government fixated on immigration, massacred 11 worshippers at a Pittsburgh saying, he wasn't focused on immigration? Where was he focused on immigration? Certainly, I think you could say that uh, he might have said some. I mean, I don't know, I didn't read his social media posts. I'm only seeing what's been... But, the man was focused on, on anti-Semitism. Whereas Trump, who has a Jewish, <laughs> a Jewish son-in-law, who has been pro-Israel, where has the man ever said anything anti-Semitic? This is just, so, it defies logic. These people are so stupid, they can't get out of their own way. It defies logic. But yet, this is where I say the press creates the narrative. And then people say, well, this is, he's divisive. No, it's the press that's creating the divisiveness. It's the, it's the actual progressives that are creating the divisiveness. Trump really is, and his nationalism, the whole idea of nationalism is unification of people under the idea we're all American. Now, I would say that that one people idea has been incorrect throughout American history. I am not someone who would say that American nationalism is a good thing, because it creates a strong central authority that was never supposed to exist. And it allows 
for all these different nasty things to happen. Think locally, act locally is the very definition of anti-American nationalism. <laughs> but, that said, uh, it's just funny to me when you read this particular piece and you read what people have said, what Sarah Silverman and uh, Alyssa Milano and all these great intellectuals out there are saying what nationalism is, it's just, it's just so stupid. Uh, now, the suburbs around Philadelphia used to be a reliable Republican bastion, but Shelley Howland, a Republican who attended the pro-Wallace events of Mr. Trump, represented a breaking point. A supporter of abortion rights and gun control, Ms. Howland voted two years ago for Hillary Clinton over Mr. Trump, but stayed loyally Republican in the congressional election, supporting Mr. Wallace's opponent, Representative Brian Fitzpatrick, who was now seeking his second term. She said she would not support Mr. Fitzpatrick again. This year is going to be straight Democrat ticket said Miss Howland, 65, lamenting this whole movement to the alt-right, Steve Bannon in the White House, Trump in the White House. I, I'm Again, I am not so certain how they're getting this. If you The, the alt-right, the people that have, that have publicly come out have been, many of them have been anti-Trump. They don't think he's gone alt-right enough. Mr. Wallace, an investor whose grandfather served as vice president, cast his campaign... As an opportunity for Bucks County to repudiate a president who has unleashed a Pandora's box of dangerous social turmoil. The tone that the president has said is absolutely toxic to relations between people of different faiths and different races and different sexual orientations, Mr. Wallace said. Again, if you're saying he's a nationalist, how is that the case? They don't even understand it. This is where the piece to begin with, I mean, um, they're, they're not even, that's that old meme where it says, I don't think you want you know what that term actually means. I don't think you think that term means what it says you mean, says you think it means. I mean, this is, this is what's happening here. These people are so uneducated about these particular ideas that they can get away with calling this stuff nationalism. Uh, or, or they get away with a definition of nationalism that doesn't exist. But former Representative Phil English... Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Mr. Fitzpatrick, whose campaign did not respond to emails and phone calls seeking comment, has sought to distance from Mr. Trump and brands himself as an independent lawmaker in campaign materials. Like other Bucks County Republicans, he has collected support from labor unions and endorsed policies like gun control that break with the national Republican agenda. So what this piece is really discussing here is it's not necessarily nationalism. It is a movement away from country club republicanism. It's, it's a movement away. The, 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 these people don't like the fact that Pat Buchanan, Pat Buchanan's brand of conservatism, which is focused also on social issues, not just taxes, is now ascendant, that there's actually some of that ascendant in mainstream politics. It's not nationalism that they're, that they're worried about here. It's traditional conservatism. Um, and that's the issue, because it's not country club republicanism. Well, I mean, we're going to avoid the social issues, and we'll focus on taxes. We're going to avoid the social issues, and we'll focus on spending, which, of course, never decreases. Um, it's, it's all about these economic issues, taxes, 
But it's, it's still, to all these people are just nationalists. If you really want to find an anti-nationalist agenda, you're going to have to go to the people that are pushing for federalism, decentralization, these type of things. These are the people that are actually the anti-nationalists. Not the people that are saying we have one America, one people, or we have one people, we're all the same, we all believe in equality. All that is just nationalism disguised as different things. It's the American nation state, the United State, as opposed to uh, a decentralist agenda. Now, of course, as I've talked about, the progressives are starting to get some of this stuff. They think that the only way to have inroads is through real federalism, and we're going to have sanctuary cities, and we're going to have all these other kind of things that, that would promote a real federalism. But see, Trump's crackdown on that stuff is straight nationalism. <laughs> and of course, if the Democrats were in office, they would be cracking down on the right trying to, uh, trying to have a federalism, uh, a decentralization. Just like, the, just like the Republicans are now. So nobody really believes in anything but nationalism, but they don't really know what these term mean, terms mean. And of course, if you can just say on social media, well, nationalism is Hitler. And you can have Sarah Silverman, who's a complete moron, say these things. Well, then it has to be true. If you can have Alyssa Milano, who's a complete knucklehead idiot, say these things, well, then it has to be true. If you can have Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus say these things, then it has to be true because they're celebrities and they know everything. It's also, you know, Tom Woods did a, did a podcast, an episode on this, how, uh, you know, smart people are, the, are, are all progressives. Uh, I've heard this before, too. I remember when I was in the post office, the post office, I was the, the postman liked to talk politics for some reason in this little rural post office I used to, I used to go to. And he said, well, obviously, all the smart people are progressives. So that means progressivism is the smartest thing. This is what people really think. Not all the smart people are progressives. In fact, I would say the smart people aren't. <laughs> because the, the people that, they're just sheep. They've been, they've been indoctrinated, and then so that's what they believe. The people that are smart are the ones that actually take the other pill and think, okay, there's something else here. So this is all funny to me that nobody really knows what nationalism means what that term means, what that term, the definition of it, what American nationalism really is. If you go back and look through American history, American nationalism is something entirely different. It was always based on a national identity regardless of all these other backgrounds. If you believed in the American political economic system, it didn't matter who you were, you assimilated. That's American nationalism. That's what Trump is. He's an old, mid-20th century Democrat. The Democrats should be lining up behind this guy, the traditional Democrats, but this shows you how far the Democrat Party has become, or has come, and, and what it has become, and how far it's come from its real nationalist, American nationalist roots to something that is entirely different. The only thing bonding these people together is belief in central power and voting. That's it. Democracy has become nationalism, which is part of progressivism. I mean, that that's... Really, where they, I mean, that was one of their stock, you know, stock uh, issues. Reform was nationalism, reform was democracy. And so that's where they've carried that through. And they don't really think beyond that. It's a, it's a worship of the state, it's a worship of democracy as religion. Um, so that's it. And they have majorities. They think they have majorities. So this is what they're going to believe in. All right. So I had to, I had to talk about that because this is just, all this stuff is just, crazy to me. We're in this bizarre world of, of language meaning something that it doesn't mean, but 
Um, I had to, I had to get this out and I and uh, talk about this term nationalism again. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>